Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time we can spend together today. We thank you, Father, that you speak to us through your word, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you have a vision for your church? Well, to put it another way, where would you like our church to be in 12 months' time? Is there a picture in your mind, a dream in your heart, of what you hope the church will be like, what it will be doing, who will be here this time next year? Maybe it's the number of people attending on a Sunday morning. Before the summer, it was about 65. Since September, it's basically been around 80 every week, which is wonderful. I'm giving thanks to God for that. Maybe you think it could be 100 by the end of 2023. That's a good vision. Maybe it's a particular ministry you'd love to see get started, something with children or teenagers or the elderly or the vulnerable or people who follow different faiths or who speak different languages in our community. It might be new home groups or a new service or a termly course for those who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you have a vision for those sorts of things. Maybe you'd like to find new ways of connecting with our community. Maybe you've got a vision for how we can improve Sundays for the sake of those who are regularly here and for the sake of visitors. Uh, If you are visiting here today, uh, we hope that this service gives you a really good idea of what we are about as a church. But the majority of what I'm going to say today is for those of us here who would consider ourselves part of this church family. Uh, We want to think about our vision. What is God calling us to be and to do in the year ahead? Now, thinking about vision can be a dangerous game, can't it? Uh, Our former Prime Minister set out her vision, and uh, we all know how long that lasted. Uh, Gareth Southgate, no doubt, has his vision to win the World Cup, but uh, who knows how likely that is to happen. Wonderfully, as Christians, we can base our vision for the church on much more solid ground. Because the Bible is full of vision for the church, including for the local church. We saw a brilliant snapshot of that from our reading um, in Ephesians. At the end of that reading, it says, In him, in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In other words, the, the church, the local church, is the place on earth where God lives spiritually. God has brought sinners to himself, like you and me, to himself and to each other through Jesus' death in our place. We are his family. We are his dwelling place. We don't deserve what a, such an awesome privilege, do we? But it's true. And so in a very fundamental sense, when we think about vision, we don't need to come up with a different idea each year. God wants us to become more and more the people we already are, the place where he dwells among his people on earth. But the questions still remain. How does that happen? What do we actually need to do in this place, at this time, in the circumstances we face as the people we are living the lives we lead? And to think about those questions, I'd love us to spend time in this wonderful passage in Exodus 35 that the Lord brought to my mind. It describes the people of God being the kind of church God calls his people to be. And I think it sets out a beautiful vision for us as well. It shows us how we can be more and more God's dwelling place here in Wandsworth. 
But first of all, I just want us to catch up in the story, the story of, of Exodus. You know the story. God rescues the people from slavery in Egypt. He takes them through the Red Sea. He takes them to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he says this to them. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, God says, I've rescued you so that you can display my goodness and grace to the world, so you can enjoy relationship with me. That's chapter 19. And then he gives them the covenant, chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. He explains the covenant, chapters 21 to 23. He confirms the covenant with an extraordinary ceremony in chapter 24. And then in chapter 25, he says, make me a tent. Make me a tent. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You see the connection with what we saw there in Ephesians chapter 2. God wants to dwell among his people. And this tent, this sanctuary, this tabernacle is a picture of him doing that. It is a signpost to the spiritual temple that God is calling you and me to be today. And then chapters 25 to 31, he gives them some instructions about how to build that tent. There's this massive hiccup in chapters 32 to 34. That's the story of the golden calf. And then, the beginning of our reading he gives them another opportunity because he is full of goodness and grace. And uh, his vision is to dwell among them. That is his vision for you and me too, so that we can display God's grace, his goodness, his glory to the world. How can we do that? Well, three pictures from this passage for us to consider today. First of all, a church gifted with generous givers. Come on, move. iPad should be moving. Paul, do you want to move me on? Sure. Brilliant, thanks. A church gifted with generous givers, verses 4 to 29. It's impossible to, to miss as you read this passage. God wants his people to give. That word appears 10 times in the reading. And he doesn't only expect some to give, but all to give. You see verse 4? Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. The whole Israelite community. And then God tells them what to give, verses 5 to 9. And you really get the sense that this is deluxe. He doesn't tell them to go chopping at Aldi and Lidl. It's more like Harrods or if you like, um, walking along outside in the village there and looking in at Bailey and Sage. It's like Bailey and Sage, not Aldi or Lidl. Precious metals, fine leather and linen, expensive spices, quality wood, precious stones. It's the best. And we might wonder, where did they get all this stuff from? After all, they've been slaves for 400 years. Where did they get it from? Well, he tells us early on in Exodus, let me read to you, chapter 12, 36. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. All of these treasures that we're about to read about, they come from Egypt. They come to the people of God from the Lord ultimately, but via the world. 
And that's the same for you and me. Whether it's tax credits or a tax rebate, whether it's an hourly wage or a stable salary, whether it's investment interest or state benefits, whether it's a family inheritance or an annual bonus, whatever it is, it all comes from the Lord ultimately via Egypt, via the world. It's, it's very easy to think, isn't it? It's very easy to forget that and to think that it's all ours, whether it's big wealth or small wealth. But it's only ever on loan to us from God, waiting to be used for him. See, I think the Israelites have got that. They've understood that. Just look down verse 23. Very interesting little note here. Halfway through the verse. Sorry, verse 22. They all presented their gold to the Lord. See, the gold belonged to them individually. It wasn't a free-for-all where no one owned nothing. Certain things belonged to certain people. But they gave their gold, their stuff, brooches, rings, earrings, and presumably stuff made of other things as well. They gave their possessions. And let's not think that they only gave because God had twisted their arm. You see, the other word that comes again and again in our reading is the word willing. They were willing. Verse 5. Everyone who is willing. Verse 21. Everyone who was willing. Verse 22. All who were willing, men and women alike. Verse 26, all the women who were willing. And then it's all summed up in that beautiful phrase in verse 21. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them. Whose heart moved them. See, they sat there at the bottom of the mountain and they thought, isn't it wonderful? God has brought us into a personal relationship with himself. We are sinners We've just gone and built a golden calf and he's given us another opportunity and our hearts are moving us to give. They respond with glad generosity. And the same principle applies to you and me today. Uh, Matt and Rob have spent some time explaining our, our church finances. I don't want to go over those in detail again today but I, in this talk, but I do want to, to encourage us to follow in the footsteps of God's generous givers of, in the past. Not just the Israelites, but others too. Uh, Paul, you'll need to move me on. This is disconnected. So 2 Corinthians verse 8, Paul says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So the news of financial hardship is all around us, isn't it? We can't escape it. And it might be that you're sitting here this morning thinking, I still haven't figured out what the impact of the Chancellor's statement is on me. But the external financial climate is not the defining factor when a Christian thinks about giving. Yes, we make wise and sensible decisions about our money, but God is much more interested in the willingness of our hearts than the size of the gift. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Israelites' hearts moved them to give. So let me ask you this morning, has God moved your heart to give? Has God moved your heart? Is he moving your heart day by day as you see the wonder of his grace? If you're giving or not yet giving, 
And is God moving your heart that you might respond generously and cheerfully as God wants us to? Because givers who give generously are God's gift to the church. Nothing will be accomplished without them. They would never build this sanctuary without generous givers. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we were a church full of generous, willing, cheerful givers, each and every one of us, God's gift to the church? It may be that you're not yet giving to the church. You may have never thought about it before. Well, now is your chance to get started. You might worry that you can't afford to give, and that is normal. It's not easy. Many of us are already giving. Maybe we could take this opportunity on the basis of what we've heard, and again, there is a um, copies of the finance report at the back if you'd like to look at that, to reconsider what we're giving based on the information we've heard and the truths we've seen in God's word. God has given us so much. He gives us his son so that we can have eternal life. He is far more interested in our hearts than the size of our direct debits. But God's vision for every church is that they may be a church gifted with generous givers. So can I encourage you today, please, to in your service sheet, there is a little giving slip. There are two things I'm going to draw your attention to. One is this little giving slip, which is here. Uh, please fill that in today, maybe straight after the service, maybe um, over lunch during the afternoon. There's a little box at the back. Fold it up so that um, no one can see that it's yours and fill it in at the back. Um, that would really help us as we think about planning um, finances going forward. Let me just return to our passage for a moment. You see verse 29. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. They were a church gifted, full of generous givers. But that's just the beginning. They could have had all of the deluxe Bailey and Sage Harrod materials, but they'd never build the tent unless they had people to build it. You see, we could do the same. We could increase the cash balance in our church account, but without people to do it, we'll never be the people God wants us to be. We need to move on to the next part of the vision. Second, a church served by skillful servants. A church served by skillful servants. This is verse 30 to verse 1. Now, I have heard, Ali, that this is one of your favorite Bible passages. And that's not surprising, given that Ali is a professional artist. But Bezalel and Aholiab are not the only artists in the camp, are they? Do you notice that, verse 1? So Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person do the work just as the Lord has commanded. There were skills aplenty amongst the people of God. Um, you see verse 25, for example, every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. So there were some women whose skill set was spin spinning linen. Verse 26, all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. So presumably that's a different skill. It required different skills to spin linen or goat hair. A Bezalel and Aholiab, verse 34, were skilled teachers. They had the ability to teach others. Some were skilled, it seems to me, as doing the work, and others were skilled at planning it. You see verse 35. 
all of them skilled workers doing it and designers planning it. All sorts of different skills. And notice where the skills come from. Verse 31. God has filled him with the Spirit of God. But also, verse 35, he has filled them with skill. Now, I love that balance. I think it suggests that our skills are both natural and spiritual. God gives us inborn talents, but he also gives us special spiritual ability to do certain things. Verse 31, he changes the way we think. You see, he gave them wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So he changes our, our minds. Verse 32, he gives us practical skills. In this instance, to make artistic designs for work in gold, etc., to cut and set stones to work in wood. So, kind of intellectual skills, we might say, practical skills. And what happened is the whole community of Israel, they became this team of skilled servants under the direction and encouragement of other skilled servants under the direction and encouragement of Bezalel and Aholiab. And that, it seems, is God's vision for us as a church as well. So later on in, in Ephesians, Paul says this, Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul is saying that particular people are God's gift to the church. So at the beginning, the very historical beginning of the church, he says the apostles and the prophets. And then ongoing through history, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Uh, that little verse there in Ephesians, by the way, reminds me that um, I don't need to write my own job description. Tells me what the role of a pastor teacher is to do, is to equip the people of God to serve God. And uh, let me just mention as well at this point, Doug. I'd love to mention Doug briefly at this point. You, you probably know that Doug kind of began to get involved with us around Easter time, and he's been formally with us since September. God willing, he'll be with us until at least next September. We are enormously blessed by his skills, especially the way he's encouraging and motivating the, the music team, teaching them. But it's not just about Doug. It's not just about me. It's not just about the elders or the ministry team. God's vision is for a church served by skilled servants all over the place. He encourages us to bring our skills, to contribute our skills to the great task of building a spiritual dwelling place on earth for him. So let me ask you today, what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? How could you help others to grow in their skills? What skills could you pass on to someone else? What area of church life might benefit from your expertise? What can you do that no one else or very few other people can do? What experience do you have from outside the church that you could bring inside the church? It is wonderful every Sunday just to, to look around and see different people contributing their skills so essential and we're so thankful for every act of service we want to grow more and more in our practical skills together so the other little sheet in your service sheet again which i'd love you to to complete today is this little serving survey there's a long list there organized by the six different ministry areas that we do um, where you 
people are serving or could serve. And we'd love you to fill that in again, either immediately afterwards whilst you're waiting for lunch or over lunch or at some point this afternoon. Again, put it in the same box, fold it up so no one can see what you've written. We would love to know what people are doing. We would love to know what people would like to get involved with. We'd love to know if there's anything that you think, actually, I'd rather not do that anymore. God gives us one another. He gives us our talents and our skills. And he wants us to be a church served by skilled servants, building and becoming the place where he dwells on earth. And if we become that people more and more, the possibilities, I think, are truly exciting, which is the final little section of our reading from Exodus, uh, the final picture of God's dreams for his people. Third, a church overflowing with opportunity. A church overflowing with opportunity. I don't know if you've seen the little advert on TV at the moment for the People's Postcode Lottery. It features Jason Donovan, How the Mighty Have Fallen, driving a lorry. He's driving a lorry and it's full of cash. But it's not just Jason's lorry, there's a whole fleet of lorries behind him and transport helicopters above him. And the picture of the advert is clear. If you win this lottery, you are set for life. And the end of our passage finishes a bit like that. It's brilliant. Look at halfway through verse 3. The people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. So the queue is all down the street, round the block, and stretching off into the distance, not just on Monday, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. So much stuff. The, the warehouses are absolutely overflowing, and the logistics team are pulling their hair out. They don't know what to do. So Moses, verse 6, gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. So Moses didn't think, oh, maybe I'll just extend the giving window a little bit just to make sure we get a bit more. Now he stops the giving window. He shortens it. He pulls the advertising campaigns. They restrain people from giving. So maybe he sends his kind of like henchmen to the embroiders workshop and the tent peg maker's forge, and the metal worker's studio. He says, just stop what you're doing. Close the door. Go and have a long weekend. Don't give us any more stuff. You see, God's people there, they are so moved by his extravagant grace towards them that they just run out of work to do. They must have been so frustrated, don't you think? And I wonder if their frustration got even more frustrating when they actually built the tent. Let me just take you to the end of the book. Just flick on a few pages to Exodus chapter 40. So chapter 40, uh, verse 33. So all the intervening chapters describe them doing the stuff. And then verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting 
because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see the massive anticlimax in this story. God's people have spent all these chapters building all this stuff, bringing all their stuff to build this extraordinary tent. They've accomplished the vision. They've built the place where God spiritually dwells on earth. And then no one can experience it. Not even Moses is allowed in. They were limited in what they could do. First, in what they could give to build it. Second, in how they could experience the blessings of it. They'd been given their opportunity and they'd hit the ceiling. So frustrating. Isn't it so much better today? There is no ceiling to what God's people can accomplish for him now when he dwells among us. Moses wasn't allowed in the temple. He wasn't allowed to experience the presence of God. God dwells among his people today, in each of us individually if we follow Jesus, amongst us together. They had one job, build a tent. We have got the most wonderful ministry, the most wonderful opportunity in the world. Build a place that grows, that brings God's presence in heaven to earth through the local church. Jesus came to be the tabernacle. Jesus gives us his spirit so that we can dwell in him. He dwells in us individually. We invite others to experience his presence on earth. We don't know what the year ahead holds. There will be change and challenge. Some of our dreams will be realized. Others might not be. Maybe at some point we will get frustrated with things. But just imagine if at any point I had to stand up here. So today's time for the notices. I just want to say, please stop giving and please stop serving. We don't need anything else. Just imagine if I had to say that. Wouldn't that be frustrating? Wouldn't that be a wonderful picture of God moving our hearts to respond to his grace? But another level, that is a purely academic, hypothetical situation. It's never going to happen because there are so many more opportunities for us than there were for the people of God in the desert. A whole community out there who needs to hear the gospel. A whole community of people in here who need to hear the gospel and be built up in the gospel and and help to live for Jesus. Uh, The more we respond to God's grace as generous givers, the more we respond to God's grace as skilled servants, the more we will overflow with opportunities. Let me suggest that that cost of living fund is an opportunity exactly like that. It's confession, okay? I, I basically was not expecting anything, if I'm honest. We'd, our kind of publicity of that fund had been a little bit messy. I hadn't really pushed it very much. And then on Friday, just this Friday, I found out £3,000 before gift aid. And I thought, oh my goodness, hasn't God been at work amongst his people? That is amazing. What a wonderful opportunity to serve. We didn't have that opportunity to serve people who were struggling financially two months ago. And now we do, because God has moved people's hearts to give. So may we grasp this vision for ourselves and be more and more a church gifted with generous givers, a church served by skillful servants, and a church overflowing with opportunity. 
Not so that people look at us and say, well done, aren't they special? But so that people look at us and see God dwelling among us and give praise and glory to him and to Jesus. Once again, uh, as this passage points us forward to, to Ephesians, let me read two verses from Ephesians as we finish. You will know these, no doubt. Let me read these um, as a prayer before uh, Sam comes to lead us in prayer. Shoot our heads. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.